And we're so used to getting tyrants down through history. That was give us Adolf Hitler for some reason. And so he was the main character. And that's all there is to it. We forget that most tyrants in history in the past uh, 100 years or so do not wear uniforms. They wear suits and ties. They're generally very chubby people who go to a lot of dinner parties and stuff like that and make speeches to, to NGOs and all their supporters. That's how tyrants appear today, you see. And they belong to associations, business groups, they're CEOs of corporations, and they belong to foundations. And they meet internationally and plan our future. We'll go into some of that tonight. We're back with more after the following break. the matrix. Isn't it amazing though, we're bombarded, bombarded by all mainstream media with the same topics every day. Like there's only one media there, one source of information, and it's not far from the truthfully. I mean, Reuters and, and uh, AP are the only ones left that stream all media coverage to all the different media outlets. They just pirate the stuff and pass it on. And it's a fantastic way of propaganda, isn't it, when really one group can can just say what's going to be talked about for the next week or two, and lo and behold, it, it happens. There's no contrary point of view. Uh, there's no in-depth um, explanation to the public about anything or to the outcomes of laws, etc., that are passed or in the works. You're just given declarations. You see, this is what's called governance today, governance. This is all part of governance. This stuff was the communist dream before they even had the Soviet Union. All of the things that are happening today was the Fabian communist dream, where they'd have one real source of information and everyone else would just copy it from the top, sort of like Pravda. Yeah. And they're all on board right now with, oh my God, uh, we've got climate change, you know, changes in the weather. And uh, they, they just dropped the global warming, most of them, because they were told to drop it. It wasn't panning out. It wasn't cooperating. And they had to, to find another way. So, you know, climate change or changes in the weather is good enough to change the whole planet and the way we live. That's good enough, you see, for them. And because people really have no memory at all of previous years, they, they can't remember what the weather was like. Uh, so they think, oh, my God, a, a little thunderstorm, and oh, my God, it must be that climate change stuff and all that carbon and, and breath that we breathe out and so on. Uh, this is how you create panic. You whip up panic amongst people quite easily. It's like the flu nonsense uh, out of nothing. Uh, they're hyping a non-existent event into uh, something where, again, we've all to change our ways and maybe even get imprisoned if we don't take a flu shot. Over, over nothing, an idea. Ideas are fantastic, you know, to rule the world. In ancient times, some very, very good conmen really thought, well, how, how can we make the people serve us and we'll do nothing, we'll live like kings. And they came up with the idea that if you didn't pray for, for or give these um, priest special powers and give all your power to the priests and pretty well all your belongings too uh, and tribute, then they wouldn't pray for the sun to come up. And people believed it. 
And before you know it, this, this priesthood was living high on the hog and strutting around in, in nice fine clothing. And everybody else um, really thought they were an essential part of the system. If they weren't near, well, the sun wouldn't come up. It's the same technique that's used today with all this fear and, and panic that's been created. You know, if it wasn't for the, the swine flu nonsense, it were really uh, whipped out of nowhere by the media with the, the urgings of the World Health Organization, who keep looking for a plague. They've been looking for a plague for, for years and years and years. And again, just like the weather, the plagues haven't really uh, um, cooperated enough with them. You see, so, so they're desperate to find something to, to give themselves more authority. And they want to get all these different um, potions, these magic potions, these voodoo potions, uh, into our bodies. And the stuff that's made by biowarfare companies. I hope you realize these are biowarfare companies. And, and I've read some of the history of them before, how they combined with the military uh, many, many years ago. And how the heads of some of them became the, the CEOs over the corporation that literally was part of the military um, bacterial warfare department. Why would you go and build new labs just for the military when you already have laboratories who are into to viruses and bacterium? Already made, you see. And they all came together. Same thing happened in Britain with Porton Downs. And, and a lot of the guys at the top of that establishment um, were also part of the, the vaccine manufacturers. That's what they've been pumping into us all these years, made by the biowarfare industry. But what's happening today with all of this is all to do, it's a big closing agenda. It's almost like having the sheep uh, in a circle. The, the sheepdogs have managed to get us all into a circle and, and the sheepdogs are all the different directions from which we're being attacked. We've got climate change, they're calling it, climate change, CO2, or greenhouse gases, and, and more and more utter nonsense like this. All coming plagues, coming, oh, terrorism, there's terrorism, oh, there's bank collapses, oh, it's one thing after the other, isn't it? It's amazing how we, we have, you used to say things came in threes, but not anymore, not since 2001. Since the, the century of change kicked in, this, these are the changes that we're talking about. Now, I was looking back to see how China, communist China, introduced its one-child policy. And it was dreamed up again by guys who worked at the United Nations, who uh, admitted that they also later did the anti-smoking campaign ads and made it unpopular. What they said with abortion in China was, well, you see, we're, we Chinese are all in it together. See, you're always in it together when it comes to these big utopian ideas. And they said, if, if, if there's only so many of us and, and, and there's, there's only so much food to go around, and these capitalist imperial countries um, have all the food, you see, so we have to grow all our own food, but there won't be enough a lot, so therefore you've got to keep your belts tightened. So you keep your belts tightened. And so everybody, of course, tightened their belts until their pants fell down. And... There's, not, there's no hips left to, to, to put your belt on, you see. And then they said, well, you see, there's just too many people. To, you, it was anti-communist. It was anti-social, is a term they eventually used, to have more than one child. You, that second child was eating the people's food. You know, they're using the exact same strategy today. I hope you realize this. It's the exact same strategy. It's the creation of social 
social disapproval. And for those who say, well, that will never happen, guess what? I guarantee you, you see, it takes a little while to kick in with propaganda. Big NGOs are already into to action with this, getting into your school systems. They're already there, into town hall meetings, meetings across the planet funded by the big foundations. So everyone gets the same political correct message. It's wrong to have more than one child. In fact, it's preferable if most of you have none at all. You see? And you will find people in two or three years' time, maybe five years' time, will start, they'll be in the articles in the paper. And there'll even be letters to the editor, probably all fake, but it doesn't matter. But there will be some real ones that will say, yes, it is wrong. That woman had more than one child, and she's, she's robbing the people of food and creating more, more CO2. So each time that baby burps, there's more CO2 in the atmosphere and gases and so on. And it'll take more food to feed that baby. And we must be convinced of this. And, and it will work just the same way as in China, because they know the strategy. Everything is a formula. Like Plato said, anything that's been done before in history can be repeated again to the people, and they will follow the route exactly. If you know the formula of how to introduce it, it will always work. It doesn't matter the culture, the people, it will always work the same way. And that's what you're living through right now. Techniques. That, of course, techniques, that's what they call it, in fact, at the top, technique. Technique is, is, is an interesting thing. Huxley used it all the time. I'll do Huxley. And, he, and they use revolution. See, these are all revolutions. Remember the Green Revolution? I mean, this is what we're undergoing right now. We've had sexual revolutions, liberation revolutions, all kinds of revolutions. We're always going around something, you see. And these guys behind this whole world agenda, and I've gone through their histories, who they are, and the organizations they formed, and the foundations they created, and how they funded a parallel government, you see, they use these techniques all the time. And one of their, one of their servants was Aldous Huxley, with his brother Julian Huxley. And as a descendant in Britain now, too, I've mentioned him, uh, Crispin, or, and others too, who are still on about too many people. I'm going to call back the populations. But Huxley says, says, it seems to me that the nature of the ultimate revolution with which we are now faced is precisely this, that we are in the process of developing a whole series of techniques which will enable the controlling oligarchy, who've always existed and presumably will always exist, to get people to love their servitude. You see, communism was based on service to the state. The state pretended to represent the people. The state present, uh, actually used to say that the, everything that was manufactured belonged to the people, but they had to go through these, these higher organizations of, of uh, commissars to get something if you were one of the people. You used to wait 10 years for a phone in the Soviet system. Stuff like that, little things like that. Maybe five years for the part, the part of a car. The car itself might take you 15 years. Because, you see, the government was in charge of all production. And everyone was paid by the government. And that's what they said. People used to, and, and that kind of system when there's no incentive, they used to say that the people pretended to work and the government pretended to pay you, you see. But for the controlling elites, and then socialism, communism, which is the same thing, or Fabianism, same thing, you see. This technique is used on us as Fabianism. And that was, again, for the global 
communist type system to be run by experts, academics, and and bankers, by the way. Uh, this is this is a Fabian slow incremental system. But now we're on a roll because we've been prepared for everything that's happening now. We've had years of propaganda from a thousand sources over your, over the years, uh, which your subconscious remembers, and therefore all the, the the nonsense that's coming down the pike now seems kind of familiar to you and and, and almost real, almost real. CO two greenhouse gases, greenhouse gases. And all that I'm going to cut back in your heating and all the rest of it. Try to tell the Canadians that when it's when you're freezing your ass off. Back with more after these messages. through the matrix, just trying to show you how easily it is uh, that we're conned, we're conned into a pre-planned behavior pattern that we're supposed to all adopt, which will eventually be a form of political correctness. And you will, down the road, have different groups uh, fighting each other. They oh, always fall into groups, you see, on every topic, never realizing that only the ones at the tops of the group really know the agenda. They always split us off into this or that, left or right, up or down. So easy to do, isn't it? And it works. It works. And as they're fighting each other, they don't really see the main issue of where it's supposed to go. Remember, too, that the dialectic has to have at least two groups fighting each other, and that's thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. The synthesis is a new paradigm. The end product of the argument, the resolution of the argument, becomes becomes the start again for a new thesis. And this is the never-ending story, you see, this part of the, the big boy's belief system, the dialectic process. So you always need a group to, to, to fight, so that they're literally fighting head-on, head-on it appears to be. And as, as, as they're fighting down below and they don't see that big, that big um, balloon above them with all the bombs ready to drop on them. They don't see that because they're too busy fighting each other. And that's why they give you emotive topics, emotional topics, you see. It's very important to get emotion into it. When all the peasants, you know, eventually sort of backed up the, the communist revolution, and they did, actually I shouldn't say all of them, a lot of them didn't want to, want to go along that way at all. In fact, Lenin had to send out henchmen to slaughter lots of them, hang them on trees until they rotted, to warn all the rest to join, you know. But, but and, and Rosa Luxemburg too, who tried to start off the revolution in Germany about 1917, said it's best the masses don't know what's going on at all, she says. Only the upper, uh, upper intelligentsia of the organization must know the real plan, but the masses are left to the last minute, and then they tend to go with the winner, because all you have to do is tell them that they're going to have a better life, that's all. Your life's going to get better. And they say, oh, well, it couldn't be worse than this. And they jump in and help, you see. Then they get shafted again once they've, once they've helped this elite get into power. And that's what socialism is. It's a domination of an elite, which is hereditary, uh, down, down through their, their time in that system, all supported by, supported by the masses. And they live very, very well, high on the hog. See? Experts. See, under the guise of this is a scientific age, they can use this technique, and the Soviet-socialist-communist dash, dash 
uh, Fabian system. It's all the same system. One simply does it through fast revolution. Fabianism does it slowly. And Fabianism is the one that's won. Everybody wondered what, who won the cold. What Fabianism won it? And we're all in it now together. And just like the Rees Commission said, they're now joining the Soviet system. They've joined it, actually, and using the techniques of Soviet domination uh, with the West. The, the, the two are merged together. Again, that's synthesis, the synthesis of the two, the thesis and antithesis. That's the synthesis. With the bankers on top, and um, they now run the foundations, of course. They own them. And that's the parallel government that funds all the non-governmental organizations, which they approve of, mind you. And most of the approved ones were started off by them. They find people who will start them up and fund them to the hilt. Here's an emotive topic you see comes out of this, and this is part of the strategy. And it's from Yahoo, this article here, Wednesday, August the 5th. This is um, healthcare legislation before Congress, the U.S. Congress, would allow a new government-sponsored insurance plan to cover abortions. Now, as, soon, as soon as you say that, you see, that the two factions are up, uh, full of emotions, ready to kill each other. You see, it's a decisions that will affect millions of women and recast federal policy on a divisive issue. Federal funds for abortions are now restricted to cases involving rape, incest, or danger to the life of the mother. Abortion opponents say those restrictions should carry over to any health insurance sold through a new marketplace envisioned under the legislation, an exchange where people would choose private coverage or the public plan. Abortion rights supporters say that would have the effect of denying coverage for abortions to millions of women who now have it through workplace insurance and are expected to join the exchange. Advocates on both sides are preparing for a renewed battle over abortion, and it's nothing to do with them, actually. I hate to say that, but it's nothing to do with the ones who have been involved at the bottom. This, this whole thing has nothing to do with them. This is to get in the new plan, where, because it's going to lead eventually to compulsory abortion. I've read the articles to you over the last few weeks on that. This is where they're going with all this, you see. This is what it's really all about. It's not about uh, little Mary who can't afford a child. It's nothing about that. Forget all the emotional stuff. This is literally about bringing in mandatory abortion. That's where it will lead to, mandatory abortion. You have to get authorized, in fact, to, to have an offspring. That's coming, definitely coming. I've, I've given you the topics co covered by the Optimum Population Trust. I've, I've told you about... Um, the book that John Holdren wrote in 1977 called Eco-Science. He wrote it along with Paul Ehrlich and Paul Ehrlich's wife. And how they wanted to bring... And now, of course, everybody knows that John Holdren is the science czar, the main, um, the main advisor on the scientific topics to this president that's in right now. Everything's in place. That's why these characters are all placed there now, now, not, not ten years ago, but now. Because now is the time to do it. You see, they're ready for this part of the agenda. Back with more after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
Brian Allen Watt were cutting through the matrix. Talking about this whole big plan to do with depopulation and how babies are now bad. It's in all the media. Babies are bad. And then they give you all these fake stats of how much uh, CO2 they'll breathe out and how much uh, they'll consume in their lifetime and, and all this kind of stuff. You see, babies are bad. Again, the, the Chinese policy, same strategy. Until people in the streets will, uh, will turn on you if you have two children. They've even made movies about that years ago in sci-fi and so on. Because sci-fi is part of your conditioning to make it familiar to you, the idea, you see. And in China, they used to send out the, the local guard to, and they would they'd grab a woman who had a second child and uh, drag her off to the abortion clinic. And it was done, that was it. Just dragged them off. And now they don't need to, because the people living around about that house will say, well, they'll turn on the person and they literally will get up a little group and they'll drag her off to the clinic instead of the guard. Because they've been conditioned with social disapproval. That's what it's called. The technique is called social disapproval. The creation of social disapproval. And other things that you're supposed to be all for are social approval. Social approval and social disapproval. You see? Designed by guys from the West, actually, in, in New York, Madison Avenue, went through the World Health Organization, and that's what they use in China. A technique. Same two guys, apparently, were writing a book, because it was in the, an article in the paper not so long back, and they said they used the same technique to create social disapproval over smokers in the Western countries. So easy to do. Most people don't even know what's, what's happening to them. They don't even, they don't even know where... Uh, the decisions they think they're making come from. They don't make them at all. It's already made for them. You're simply conditioned, conditioned to behave and react in a certain way. Getting back to this article, it says, advocates on both sides are preparing for a renewed battle over abortion which could jeopardize political support for Barack Obama's health care initiative aimed at covering nearly 50 million uninsured and restraining medical costs. Now let's jump into that. A while back I gave a link into my archive section uh, by Curtis, Curtis, the BBC of England, who did a great documentary on the British healthcare system and how once it's socialized, you see, which is communistic, uh, then the, 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 the sort of CEOs of these hospitals are, are dictated from by government, and the, the government tells them to cut back the costs, etc., and be more efficient at the same time. And what happened in Britain is in the hospitals, to get more hospital beds on paper, it, they filled the corridors with uh, trolleys. And they took the wheels off them. Now that they were stationary, they could classify them as beds, you see. So it looked great on paper, and, and it was sent back to the government. My God, this Manchester hospital has got another 500 beds just like that. See, it's working, it's working, well, you see. And at the same time, um, the CEOs, what they did... They sent um, questionnaires out to all patients who were down for operations on the waiting list. See, in, in communist socialist countries, you have to get a massive waiting list because, after all, you're just one of the people, and the people is everything, you see. So you can have no favoritism except for the politicians and their families and stuff like that, just like the Soviet Union. Well, in, the, in, in Britain, um, what they did was they sent a questionnaire and part of the question, one of the questions was, when do you, are you proposing to have your holidays this year? And, of course, the schmucks would go and put it on it when they were thinking of going for a holiday. 
And that's when the hospitals would send out the notice to come in for the operation. How clever, eh? And the only operations that it turned out to be doing at all during that whole time, because you could still put in their books, we're doing all these operations. We did 500 operations this week, were vasectomies. See, quick, fast vasectomies. Abortions, which are priority, you see. And, and they also um, had tubal ligation for women. Everything to do with not having children had priority. But the cancers and all the other ailments and so on, uh, gastric operations, uh, the people were on holiday when they got the notice, so, so that's what they sent back to government. Oh, so many people on holiday, so we couldn't do them. And they ended up back on the bottom of the waiting list. How would you like to be on a waiting list for five years? You'd be dead, wouldn't you? Well, you see, that's part of the strategy, because it's not really there to help you. Socialized medicine is, is a, a government mandate. Governments have mandates and priorities, you see, to achieve. Have you looked at all these treaties they're signing on the curbing of the greenhouse gases by 80-odd percent by the year 2050? How do you think they're going to do that without getting rid of people? Well, I won't be around then, so it doesn't bother me. Ha ha. Well, that's a cop out. This is from lifesitenews.com, Thursday, April the 3rd, 2008. Right? Turner's depopulation plan. Ted Turner, you know, the big philanthropist, the big philanthropist that goes around to the United Nations and so on. And it says here, New York, April 3rd, 2008. In a wide-ranging, hour-long interview on PBS, CNN founder and billionaire environmental extremist Ted Turner let the cat out of the bag on the real goal of climate change extremists, and he said it was depopulation was, was their actual agenda. Not climate change, depopulation. Pro-life activists who have attended UN environment meetings where such issues were discussed have often been the subject of ridicule and derision for pointing out that the massive movement behind global warming, retooled to climate change, works hand-in-hand with the culture of death, with the aim of depopulation. Speaking on PBS's Charlie Rose program on Tuesday, April the 1st, Turner stated plainly that next to nuclear disarmament, the most pressing world concern is global climate change, which he said is caused by too many people. We're too many people. That's why we have global warming, explained Turner when Rose questioned his comment that we need to stabilize the population. What do you think stabilizing the population? It's funny how we hear these things and we think, we don't think further beyond it because we're, we're bombarded with more trivia in between and so on and more news tomorrow. And, you know, these guys mean it and they're, they're doing it. They're actually doing it, you see. Turner, who's a fan of China's one child policy, despite the brutality of forced abortion and sterilizations which are associated with it, proposed similar limits on family size for all. That's for the Western countries. We've got to stabilize population, he told Rose. On a voluntary basis, everybody in the world's got to pledge to themselves that one or two children is it. You see? Except for their own families, of course. That's how it is in China now. And I read an article not so long ago where, yes, the one-child-per-family policy still is mandated for everyone except for those who could afford the fees or the fines. So if you're, if you're wealthy enough, you get a little fine, you see. That's your little fee. And 
and you can have more than one child, which again is eugenic or based because in eugenics is survival of the fittest and the brightest and the best. So if you have more money, you must be better than other people. That's the simple way that logic and how it works. Very simple. This is pro-life activists have been pointing to the connection between the radical environmentalist movement and depopulation for over 15 years. You see, years ago, they, they tried different things in the past till they hit on global warming. So, in other words, to save the planet, we've we, we got to start killing ourselves off. They always needed an enemy, you see, a reason for it. In China, it was the fact that now they were now a communist country, Marxist communist country, uh, then they had, to, they had to really sustain themselves because the West wouldn't help them. And they couldn't import foods, etc. So everybody had to pull together and eat less, etc., etc., and have fewer children. They're using the same technique for the whole world. Simple stuff, eh? Simple. If it works, why, why change it if it works? Why change the system, the technique, if it works? So during the UN World Summit on Sustainable Development, uh, Vion observed... Sustainable development basically says there are too many people on the planet and that we must reduce the population. Last year, China boasted, and it did too, that one-child policy, which has been criticized by many nations for including forced abortion and sterilization, had reduced greenhouse gases, they said. I guess they weighed it in scales. I guess that's how they did it. Speaking at a meeting in Oslo on the UN's Kyoto Protocol, Teo of China's State Environmental Protection Administration. See how it all ties together, the Environmental Protection Administration? Said the one-child population control policy has slowed global warming by limiting the population to 1.3 billion. This has reduced greenhouse gas emissions, he says. And if you don't give them money, the sun won't come up tomorrow either. See, it's the same cons. Same cons with both hand-waving to describe abstracts which don't exist at all except in your head. But it works. It'll work as long as we sit in our duffs and allow them to carry on like this and legislate us into sterility. I hope people understand what I'm saying. I really do hope. I really do hope. And this one article here is a bit of a satire of what I'm talking about. And it's from Wise Up Journal from the 11th of August 2009 by Gabriel O'Hara. Could similar data used to create carbon footprints we perceive be applied to other areas of humanity? How easy would it be? The answer is it would be very easy to use all kinds of data, including your dusty old skin. For example, from Wikipedia, nearly 1,000 dust particles per square centimeter settle on domestic surfaces every hour. Some dust consists of human skin. Scientists estimate that humans shed the entire outer layer of skin every day or two at a rate of 7 million skin flakes per minute, which corresponds to a mass emission rate of about 20 milligrams per minute. Now let's take that data and multiply it by 6 billion people and add a dash of global warming, Al Gore-style political speak to it. 6 billion people shedding skin at 20 milligrams per minute produces 63 billion kilograms of dust per year. Spewing 63 billion kilograms of dust into the atmosphere each, each year is not sustainable and could possibly, maybe, might, just at our current level of over a few decades, limit the effect of the sun's rays and bury cities under 10 feet of dust. The land and 
level in areas such as Egypt has increased over the last few centuries along with population growth. Ancient Egyptian structures remained under the present land level until fairly recently dug up. Dust entering the high-altitude polar winds called circumpolar vortex, which sweeps from west to east, could be the immediate cause of Africa's drought. I hope Al Gore's listening. He might be able to use this. And mind you, it might work too. And it says, Dust entering the high-altitude polar winds called the similar vortex, which sweeps from west to east, could be the immediate cause of Africa's drought. The world needs to come up with a sustainable solution just as important as the carbon footprint, no less than its equal, a dust fingerprint. Both carbon and dust taxes can help build a better, richer world for some. Last but not least, a reduction in the common population's birth numbers is required since it is a man-made problem in the minds of men. Right? Wouldn't that do? We could put that forth as well and we could add that on as well. It's all that dust we're shedding. Mind you, mind you, if the sun is a problem and they're thinking about doing geoengineering in the world and, and the skies above us, although they've been already been doing it for years, to def- reflect, deflect the sun's rays. Maybe the more dust we put up there, the more people we, we, we bring into the world, the more dust goes up there, and they won't have to do their geoengineering. We can do it for free, just by shedding skin. How would that do, Al? How's that? Hmm? How does that go with your inconvenient nonsense? Hmm? Now, I think there's a, a caller on the line from the States here. My, my screen keeps going down tonight, but it's okay. There's David from San Francisco. You there, David? Hey, how are you, Alan? Yes. You know, I, um, I was listening with interest to this because of a couple of different angles that you were going on. <clears throat> I'm a real history nut, and, um, you know, many of these um, uh, situations that uh, it, it's not just America, but uh, many of the situations that we face today have been repeated thousands and thousands of times throughout history. Uh, there were a lot of uh, recessions and um, what they called panics before the 1929 Depression, and uh, some of those were as as close as two years apart, and uh, there were dozens and dozens of them between the 1850s and uh, and 1929, and. So the techniques, uh, I, I pretty much look at it as organized crime, yep. uh, you know, pulling this stuff off. And as organized crime has gotten richer, they've obviously gone out of their way to buy, uh, uh, you know, district attorneys and to buy, uh, uh, you know, the police chief and to mm-hmm. buy uh, the prosecutors. But they've gone out of their way as well to uh, create uh, PR firms. In fact, yeah. the whole public relations industry was uh, created uh, virtually to protect these old boys from the massive crimes that they've done. Yeah. And then the, the PR firms go out of their way to see to it that Congress is lobbied. And uh, in lobbying Congress, they write laws that say that not only can they be exempt from the very crimes that they're committing, but that they can use Congress or they can use government to crush their competition. Mm-hmm. So, as you probably are aware, <clears throat> you know, there was a great big split in the Republican Party, uh, probably starting about the 1970s, where the Republican Party before that was pretty much made up of uh, either big business or small business. 
Mm-hmm. And small business, because it was larger, you know, in quantity, uh, small business could usually outvote the, the big business. Well, uh, because organized crime really wanted, and these major corporations wanted to uh, crush the small businesses, where they wanted to have an open playing ground, that's when they uh, in, uh, started inviting in the uh, the religious right, who really didn't have any business acumen. They were just kind of caught up in a in a you know whirlwind of of fear techniques. You know, whatever some preacher was ranting is that given week, they were able to scare people into political changes based upon fear mongering. And so when they got the religious right fighting among the small businesses, uh, they were able to essentially crush small business, and that's why we're in this situation today where these major corporations are writing bad laws, and now, you know, the faith-based community, so to speak, are fighting among uh, the rest of the nation about where to take uh, the world. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not to, you know, come down uh, against the honest religious person, but for the... uh, or these uh, Jack Abramoff and Tom DeLay type religious people uh, who are nothing more than fronts for organized crime, uh, they have created as part of this propaganda campaign a, a, a master race phrasing. And much of what you were talking about is essentially the propaganda of a master race, whether or not somebody deserves to live or die, you know, whether it's a you know, forced abortions or, you know, whatever, uh, who deserves health care, who deserves to uh, have the taxes spent in their neighborhood, uh, who deserves to uh, essentially have the, the, the normal standards that yeah. any society would have. But that, that's the music coming in, and uh, we'll come back after this break. I am Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix. Just to, to, to re-soft recap what David was saying, that how, how have the, the religious rights been manipulated and used? But they have been since the, the Schofield Bible, really. And Schofield was a little con man, Cyrus Schofield, who, who was financed heavily to put out his Bible version by Gompers, Sam Gompers, and, uh, and Baruch as well, and others. And that changed the whole direction of Christianity organized Christianity in the United States especially, to make them think that uh, God's plan was still ongoing. It wasn't just redemption anymore and all the rest of it. It was, it was much, much more. It was an ongoing plan, and it was he used revelations mightily, you might say, and restructured it to, to fit into this agenda, this world agenda, because Sam Gompers and his boys were all part of the, of the agenda at that particular period of time, and as wealthy as some of the top bankers in the world. And there's no doubt about it, even George Bush um, spent a lot of taxpayers' money to, to bring in the leaders of these big organizations to make them pro-war against the Middle East. And they tied it in, once again, that these preachers selling it to their congregations that this was God's will, this final battle in the Middle East against the awful evil Islam, etc. And, and uh, yeah, if you belong to a big group, you've already lost it. You've, you've lost your way. And because all you need to do is put in the right man at the top, and millions of minds are now under that control. It's that simple. They stop thinking for themselves when you belong to a big group. You can't do it. But there's much, much more to it as well, because even when Thatcher was in, they demolished small business 
from the Conservative government. They demolished it by red tape and taxes and so on until you couldn't run a business. Your, your time was spent filling in forms for government. And that, if you compare that with the Soviet agenda, is the same. You see? Uh, in the Soviet system, you'd have one main chain of, of, of stores for your groceries. Same things here. Look at the Walmarts that are authorized to be all over the world and even give you your shots in some of them, two of their pharmacies, all authorized by government to do so. They don't want small business. That's out. They must have, and same with farming. As the UN says, it was too, farming was too important to be left to farmers, so you must have these agribusinesses. And the shareholders of the agribusinesses are all the same people. So it's not only really five companies at all, it's just one company. Same with the pharmaceutical industry. The Rockefellers have the predominant shares in all the pharma companies across the planet. Same in all these different spheres. So they don't want small competition. Those days are supposed to be over, according to Thatcher, when she was in power. That was the theory of, of their day. Uh, now we'll go to Gabriel from California. Hey there, Gabriel. Hello? Yes. Hey, Alan. Uh, I was giving you a call, call last week. I was giving you a call because um, along the lines of what you were saying about how uh, China has this thing set up to where you know, people now accept the abortion thing. There's something similar going on here in the United States with the family court system. And it's amazing that how, like, if you get divorced or whatever, if, even if you're not married, the first thing that they do um, is legally separate the father from the child, legally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they give the woman 100% custody. Besides the fact that it's already well established by any psychologist, child psychologist or whatever, that both parents are important to the upbringing of the child. But my point is, is that uh, what you were making was that is that we actually men and uh, we're people society has actually accepted that you accept the fact that you're legally separated from the child now you have to go back to court to ask the state for permission for what they call visitation mm -hmm. they legally call you a visitor now yeah and now we've accepted men, uh, men and women have accepted that now it's normal mm -hmm. yeah everything is done through 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 courts and laws and so on and that, again, bypasses all democratic input whatsoever. That there is no democracy. You see, the plebeian vote isn't given to the people. And you just change any constitution through bypassing it through the court system. And you're quite right, men are totally emasculated now, and the world's accepted this as a new normal. Now there's no family unit, so now they're really on a roll because nothing will stand up. No one will stand up for anyone else now. Men won't fight, they don't have a family to fight for. Simple, isn't it? From Hamish myself, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you.